growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In the parable, you find out where a person really is. If a person's heart is open, then the parable will stir up curiosity. It will maybe solidify some truth in their life. It will have an impact on them so they come to a greater understanding. If you've ever done any farming or gardening, you probably know that the condition of the soil is critical for good production. Well, today, we're going to hear how Jesus applied this basic agricultural principle to teach us something very important for our spiritual lives. Is my heart hard? Or am I receptive to whatever things God might be doing in my heart or my life? Is my heart soft? Is it receptive? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're working our way through the book of Mark here at Cross Culture Church, and today Pastor Clay is starting in chapter 4. The gospel writer Mark records almost all of Jesus' parables in this fourth chapter. Jesus was a master teacher, and parables were one of his favorite methods of teaching. Today, Pastor Clay is going to walk us through the first parable of the chapter, the parable of the sower, the soil, and the seed. As you'll hear today, the condition of a person's heart is critical if they're going to be productive in the kingdom of God. Now here's Pastor Clay. This week, uh, I was was selling one of my guitars on Craigslist. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's good. That's good. Uh, anyway, I sell one of my guitars on uh, Craigslist. And uh, so uh, a guy comes to my house the other night uh, to, uh, to, to see the guitar. And I take him up to my office. Uh, and, uh, and I have a little separate kind of area of my house where my study is. And it's just it's a real blessing to me. And uh, my father-in-law built me some of these really nice bookshelves in there. And I've got full of book stuff. We go up there and, uh, and the guy says, man, you got a lot of books. And I said, well, yes, yeah. I, I know. I, said, I do a lot of reading. I, I enjoy reading. I, and I said, but I, I'm a pastor of a local church in this area. And, and uh, so, you know, I, some of those are tools of my trade and that sort of thing. And so he says, he says oh, well, uh, we're, we're kind of related. He says, I'm a spiritual advisor. And, um, and so, and listen, he, he, uh, such a nice guy. Miles was such a nice guy, and we had a great conversation uh, talking about guitars some, uh, but primarily talking about Miles and his life and what all's happened in his life and all this kind of thing. And listen, <laughs> you don't have a week for me to tell you all that Miles told me about his life and all that's happened in his life and the drug addictions and, and how he was delivered from that. And he kept kind of making reference, he kept wanting to kind of say God, but he wouldn't say God. You know, he'd kind of say how, how things happened. And he told me how, how he changed and how he had to reverse his thinking for everything. And, and so he said, if he, if he wanted to make change in his life, and this is what he teaches other people, if you want to make changes in your life, you have to reverse everything. And uh, so he said, uh, he said when, when, I, when this happened in my life, he said, I just had to do everything backwards from the way I used to do it. He said, if I used to, if I used to put my pants on left leg first, I started putting my pants on right leg first. He said, if I, if I had to, uh, uh, if I ate with my right hand, I started eating with my left hand. I, he's, he learned to write left-handed, and he was right all this stuff. He started doing backwards, and that, that, the idea was that that's what gets him out of these, these terrible uh, addictions and habits and everything that he's gotten into. And he's talking, and I said, very nice, and nice, and, you know, and I, I want to sell the guitar, you know, I'd love, I want to sell the guitar. I mean, I don't really, but I got to, you know, I mean, I need to, I need, I need to. So, anyway, um, so, you know, the Lord's like, you can talk to him about Jesus at some point. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> 
So uh, we engage in this conversation. I begin to, to say, Miles, and I said, you know, you, and he gives me this card, and a very interesting card, and I, well, I won't get into all that. But anyway, I said, a spiritual advisor, what does that mean to you? And so he begins to explain how uh, he helps people in their spirituality and that it's within themselves and the power and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I began to engage, uh, you know, that, that I think probably Miles, I said, I believe you're absolutely right. God is in the power of, is in the business of changing lives and God changes people's lives. I said, but where, where you and I would probably differ is that I believe that that happens only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is the medium through which restoration and forgiveness and, and healing and everything else happens in our life. And he, and he, he agreed that, that he understood my stuff. He's read the scriptures. He's read the Torah. He's read the Quran. He's read the Buddhist writings. He's, he's read all that stuff. And I couldn't help but uh, think in the midst of all that, in light of what I've been working on this week, um, where was this guy's heart? What kind of soil was this guy's heart? Uh, Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Open your Bibles, open your iPads, uh, open your smartphones to Mark chapter 4. Uh, last week we covered all of chapter 3. This week we're only covering verses 1 through 20 of chapter 4. And, and uh, we're enter- entering into a very interesting part of uh, Mark's uh, recording of the action hero, uh, Jesus. So Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read this morning uh, verses 1 through 20. Everybody doing okay this morning? You want to say anything to somebody sitting beside you? You want to say good morning or how you doing or pay attention or anything? You want to? All right. All right, don't rake them over the coals. That's, that's my job. <laughs> Mark chapter 4. Listen, listen. The story continues. The action hero is on the move. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and and choked it, and and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop, and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing they may see and not perceive. And while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones... Who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. 
who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have uh, no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Okay, uh, there is a lot in this and a lot to say, but uh, I want to begin this morning, and, and what I'm really going to do is try and, try and deal with two questions. Uh, but the first question I'm not going to spend that much time on, but, but it felt like uh, it needed to be addressed a little bit. And the question is this. Uh, what is the purpose of parables? What is the purpose of parables? Why does Jesus teach in parables? Uh, in verses uh, 1 and 2, as the chapter opens, uh, it says, He began to teach again by the sea. And such a, a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, and in verse 3 he goes into the parable, we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, jump over uh, to verse 10, he says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, uh, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Jesus uh, is uh, still gathering large crowds at this point. People are coming to him, uh, obviously for the miracles. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, And he is performing many great miracles, but he's also doing teaching. But the people, there's so many people now, and they're so crowded around him, that really it would be, it's impossible for him to communicate this vital truth that he has come to communicate. Remember, that's We've said this before. Does Jesus care about people's physical needs? Absolutely. That's why he does healing. That's why he does those things. He cares about people. It also establishes authority, uh, displays who he is. So, yes, he does the miracles. um, But but I would say more important than that, Jesus is trying to establish a teaching that they come to understand who he is so that they can be prepared for what he's eventually going to do, which is go to the cross and, and die uh, for their sins. So uh, he needs to teach them this truth. And, and you can only imagine, you know, if you've got, let's say it's 100, let's say there's, there's 6,000 people there and, and they're all crammed around you. Well, you can start teaching. You might could affect 100 or something like that. I don't know. So what Jesus does is he gets into a boat uh, and, and has the boat go just offshore of the Sea of Galilee and he anchors there and he sits down and he begins to teach them. Now, uh, the area around the Sea of Galilee, uh, the terrain is, uh, is very hilly. In many cases, it, it, it'll rise straight up off, as in, you see in this case, it's like the hills or the mountains almost rise straight up off the water from there. And what would happen is, uh, Jesus, as he got in this boat, and he would get just a little ways offshore, so he got a little distance between him and the crowd, and, and what would happen was this natural amphitheater was, uh, was created as a result of the hills and as a result of the, the acoustics of the water and as a result of uh, his getting a little space between them, and he would begin to teach. And the people would be all along the hillsides, gathered up in the hillsides, and they would listen as he would, as he would teach. And they could hear very well because of this amphitheater uh, setting. And the text says that he began to teach 
in or with parables. He begins to teach them in parables. Uh, Parabalo in the original language is the word. Uh, Some of you would recognize how this para, beside, like parallel lines, para to be beside, balo to throw. So a parable was a story thrown alongside or laid alongside a truth that you're, that you're trying to convey to the people. But if you read verse 10, uh, 10 through 12, it, it almost, could almost sound like Jesus, that there's a certain group there that Jesus doesn't want them to get it. Jesus doesn't really want them to understand. Doesn't it kind of sound that way? You read verses 10 through 12? Remember the context. Remember the context. Who is it? that has been following him around everywhere, looking for a chance to catch Jesus messing up. Who is it? Religious leaders, right? Pharisees, scribes, all the, the religious leaders. Who is it that has seen him perform miracles, but instead of rejoicing with those that he heals, they simply are trying to use it as an opportunity to bring an accusation against him? It's the religious leaders. Who is it that have, have clearly heard his very plain unmasked, unhidden teaching, he spoke very plainly to them and then demonstrated his authority by the miracles that he has performed, but they have refused to believe what he has said. Who? The religious leaders. So, because of that, I believe because of that, in uh, verses 10 through 12, particularly, specifically in verse 12, Jesus quotes, you may not know this, but Jesus is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. There, He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The interesting thing about that is In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, that's where God tells Isaiah, go deliver this message, but they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to hear what you say. Their hearts are too hard. They won't bother with it. They're not going to hear, but you go and deliver it anyway. So, here's where I'm getting to. The point of the parable is that it's not, I, I believe, that the point of the parable is not to hide God's intent, but it is rather to reveal men's hearts. That it is in the parable that you find out where a person really is. In other words, if a person's heart is open, if they desire to know the truth of God's word, then the parable will, it'll stir up curiosity. It it, it will speak, it will maybe solidify some truth in their life. It will have an impact on them so that it becomes, uh, they come to a greater understanding. But if the person's heart is unreceptive, if the person's heart is hard, like we talked about last week, and we're going to see some of that in just a moment, then it doesn't matter. It didn't matter if Jesus taught in parables. It didn't matter if he taught plainly like he often did. It didn't matter about his miracles. They were not going to believe no matter what he did. So Jesus was not necessarily trying to hide truth from anybody. He was revealing where their hearts Really were, but for the people that wanted it, the parable opened up new, new ideas, uh, new gotcha moments, if you will, where where it just came and it sat down uh, in them, and they understood it more clearly. Okay, so that's why I think Jesus taught in parables. Let's do with the, deal with the second question. This one we're going to spend most of the time. What is the point of the parable of the sower? Why why this parable? This is when he starts with. Um, what, what's the point of it? What, what do we get out of it? Well, uh, in verses 3 through 9, maybe I won't take quite time to read it all, so I've read it a few moments ago, but in verses 3 through 9, he goes uh, into explaining these different types of soil. He says, listen, the sower went out to sow. And he begins to explain all these different types of uh, soil. 
And then in uh, verses, I think it's 13 through 20, he gives the, the specific application of what those types of soils are, right? You, you heard that a minute ago as we read it. This is, this is the types of soil. This is what those types of soil represent. And we're going to try and kind of walk through uh, each one of these kinds of soil and, and then hopefully make some application uh, for our lives. So he starts out with this. He starts out with what I call the hard soil. Now, this may be a little confusing to you because this is not the soil that Jesus refers to as the rocky soil in verse 5. I, that's, that's, that's not what I'm referring to when I call it the hard soil. I'll explain about that soil in a moment. The hard soil is the soil that Jesus begins to talk about uh, in verse 3, or, or verse 4, as, as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. In other words, in the parable, it, it, he's just off the road, the sower is off the road, but he's not into the field. And some of the seed is sown in, whether, you know, however that happens, it, 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 it's, it goes to the ground. But the ground is so hard and so packed and so compressed that the seed can't even, there's no thought of the seed even beginning to get into the soil in any way. It can't happen. It's too, it, it would be like trying to drop soil almost like on this platform. It just can't get in. And then Jesus says, makes the comparison in verse uh, 15. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So Jesus says the, the hard soil, that, that represents the hearts, the, the, you know what I mean by heart? I'm not talking about the physical organ. I'm talking about who we are on the inside, our receptivity to the things of God, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You, when, you, when, you, when you tell someone I love you with all my heart, you, you're not saying I, I love you with this organ in my body that pumps out, you know, you're, you're, Right? So Jesus is getting to, he says, this is the person, these are the persons whose heart is so hard, so cold, so indifferent to the things of God that they won't let the seed in. It, they won't even begin to entertain the idea of the seed coming in. It is the hard soil. I believe this is, this is the, the religious leaders. Now, they probably weren't the only ones, but I believe this is religious leaders, and I think that's why Jesus starts with this one. They were so hard, so cold, so indifferent to the truth of God's word that they were not about to entertain it. They were not about to consider anything that Jesus said or anything that Jesus did. I mean, the guy is restoring sight. He's, he's raising up dead people. He's making lame people walk left and right. And, but it's the hardness of their heart. Now, the text, or Jesus says then uh, that, and by the way, he's very, he's very clear about this. Uh, verse 14, the, the sower sows the word. So, so the seed in the parable, the seed is the word. Everybody in agreement on that? The seed is the word. The sower is sowing the, the word. Verse 14, uh, verse uh, 14, sower sows word. Verse 15, it's the hard ones. And then he says this. And then he says, this is the one whose hearts are so hard. And Satan comes in and steals, snatches up the seed right away. So in the case of the hard soil, uh, the, the, the enemy steals the word away from people. That's what happens. When the heart is hard, the enemy just comes in and steals the word away from people. And I was thinking about that in the context of our culture today. Um, and I was thinking, how does Satan steal the word 
away. And I want to share a few ideas with you this morning for your uh, consideration. But, but before I do, I want to I'll say this to you. In, this, in consideration of this hard soil, representing this hard heart, I, I hope that, uh, that you're kind of asking yourself this question. Is my heart hard? Or am I receptive to whatever things God might be doing in my heart or my life? You may be here, not be a believer yet. You may be here and be a believer. But is my heart soft? Is it receptive to the truth of God's word and what he wants to say in my heart and my life? Because Satan comes and steals away. How does he steal away? Well, I came up with a few ideas uh, for our culture today. And the first one is this. Uh, to deny the authority of the word. It's one of the ways that Satan steals the word out of our culture today. To deny the authority of the word of God. Now listen, this is not new. Of course, you all know this is not new with him. This starts all the way back with the very first uh, sin of Adam and Eve. Starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Where uh, God comes to Adam and Eve and, and he says, listen. He says, uh, don't eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. If you do that, if you eat of that tree, uh, you, you, will, you will bring death into this world and, and upon yourselves. And in Genesis chapter 3, the latter part of verse 4 and verse 5, Satan responds and says this. There it is. You will surely not die. What's he doing? He's denying the authority of God's word. You're not, oh, God said you're not, you're not going to die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It is, it is an attack on the authority of the word of God. Satan used it then, and I'm telling you, he's still doing it today. He's still operating that way in this world today. Listen, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an example. Where if, you, where if you work outside the home, if you have to work outside the home, uh, when you go out this week, whether it's, you know, in an office or a plant or a, a school or, or wherever, you, wherever you happen to work this week, go out and, and just, uh, just bring up, especially if guys, guys, why don't you all do this? Bring up the subject of uh, the Bible talking about wives submitting to their husbands. Just bring that up. See, see how that goes. See how that goes. It's, it's denying the authority of the word of God. I'm telling you, it goes on. If you'll listen, you'll hear it going on all, all, all the time. Here's another one. Uh, he will discredit the accuracy of the word. Oh, the Bible, for real, you believe that stuff? The Bible says that God created everything that is in six days. Come on. Everybody knows that we're enlightened now. We're enlightened Everybody knows that that's not how it happens. Everybody knows that, 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 it, that it came into existence through some kind of spontaneous act. We're not exactly sure how, but everybody knows that's what happened. And, and, and through random chance and mutational changes and hundreds of millions of years, uh, life uh, evolved in the complex, uh, the complex life, the complex existence that you see around us today. Everybody knows that. And listen, I'm, not, I'm just saying that's the argument, right? You, the Bible says... Virgin birth? <laughs> Dead people coming back to life? Come on. It, it is to discredit the, the accuracy of the word of God. And, you, and you're going to hear it. And I'm just telling you, uh, it's, it's not rocket science. God's word is either accurate or it's not accurate. It's either right or it's not right. And listen, can I just say this? And I may be getting ahead of myself, I'm not sure. But you can't pick and choose. Do you understand that? Does everybody understand that? You can't say, well, yeah, the, Jesus, uh, I like that. But worldwide flood, come on. Or 
anything else. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's this idea of discrediting the accuracy of the Word of God. And by the way, this is another one you'll hear. Oh, and besides, everybody knows that a bunch of men got together, a bunch of men got together, church leaders, and they sat down and decided what to write down so, so that we would believe what they wanted to believe so they could start this new religion. Everybody knows that. Everybody that is completely ignorant of history, but don't get me started on that. Okay, so he'll deny the authority of the Word of God. He'll discredit the accuracy of the Word of God. Third, he will diminish the availability of the Word. And I'm, oh, I'm not just talking about the countries where the Word of God is illegal to own. I'm not talking about third world countries where it's difficult to, to get copies or to afford to buy copies. I'm talking about in our own culture right here today. There is a diminishing of the availability of the Word of God. And listen, everybody knows that the Word has been, has been uh, taken out of the courthouse. Right? Everybody, everybody knows the Word has been taken out of the schoolhouse. The tragedy is the Word of God is being taken out of the church house. I'm not done. And out of your house. I know, I'm not, I'm not saying all churches, I'm not saying all, all your houses. But I'm just saying, as God said to the prophet Amos, there is a famine in the land for the word of God today. As I, I, <laughs> I was reading this article this week um, on Christianity.com, written by Dr. Al Mohler, who is president of Southern Seminary, uh, discussing this subject matter of just the, the biblical ignorance of Americans, Right? Right on our money. And God we trust. But we don't know anything what he says. Anyway, so Moeller's writing about this in this article. And I don't have time to cut everything about the article. But, but I, listen, listen to this quote that he says. Listen to this. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. We're not going to do a test this morning. Relax. <laughs> but but it, fewer than half of the people surveyed could name the four Gospels, folks. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. Look at this. According to data from the Barner Research Group, 60% of Americans can't, even, can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Can't even name five. And then, and then uh, Moeller quotes uh, Barna. And he says, no wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are. <laughs> the bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Listen, I'm telling you, it's being stolen away. And we don't, we don't even know how detrimental this is to our culture. You don't know. You don't think you got... Let me give you a few statistics, all right? Again, this is from the article. 82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help himself as a Bible verse. That's not a Bible verse, folks, all right? Let me just go ahead and break that one to you. It's not a Bible verse. So if you happen to be among the 82%, God helps those who help themselves is not a Bible verse. But 82% of Americans believe that it is. Get this one. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Now, this is, these are people they surveyed. All right, what's another one? A survey of graduating high school seniors, that maybe some of y'all in here, revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Now, listen, I, I, I'm not saying that all of us have to be ready for a, you know, a battle royale of trivial pursuit in heaven. You know, we got to know every, I'm, But I'm just saying there's such an ignorance of the Word of God, and, and it... Considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Houston, we've got a problem. 
We've got a problem, and it is deeper than any of us realize, and it is, it is more damaging than any of us realize. I, I want to make a statement. You can't apply what you don't know. You can't apply what you don't know, which is then the fourth uh, way that he steals, downplay the application of the word, right? <laughs> of course you can, you can sleep with people before you're married. Of course, live with them. That only, that only makes sense. That way you can kind of try them out and see if they're going to be a good fit or not. Uh, by the way, I've said this before, some of you probably remember this, but do you know that the statistic, the divorce statistic is higher among people that live together before marriage than it is people that don't live together before marriage? So even from a practical standpoint, if you just go throw God out the window, even from a practical standpoint, it's not a good idea. I'm just telling you, and I realize, you know, all of us stumble and have, I'm just telling you, this, this is just the truth, but it's to downplay the application of the word. It's a, oh, you know, come on, that's, that's old-fashioned. Times have changed. The problem is God hasn't. God hasn't changed, and, and, and what God says what, is what God says. Now, are, are there changes? We, we looked at some of this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Levitical law and all that stuff. Are, are the things that were completed and that were specifically for Jews and that were completed and that we no longer have to, to, to stand? Yes, absolutely. But the Word of God and its application. The Word of God has application for virtually every area of our life, folks. I mean, you know, any subject you want to talk about. You want to talk about sex? Fine. You want to talk about divorce? Okay, you want to talk about dealing with stress? You want to talk about guiding your children? You want to talk about uh, loving your spouse? You want any subject matter you want to cover, the Word of God covers in one way or another. We've got to understand the, this application of the Word of God. So, I think these are at least four ways that Satan comes in and steals the Word when people's hearts are resistant to it. They don't want to hear the truth of God's word. He comes in and he steals it away. So I ask again, just giving thought to this. Where, where's, what's the condition of my heart? Is my, am, I, am I trying to make sure that I'm always open, receptive to what God would say in our heart? Because some of the stuff God says in his word is kind of hard, right? It's kind of hard to, man. Mm. Okay, uh, let's, let's go on to the, uh, to the second kind of soil. So there's a hard soil. Satan steals the word away from people. Second is the shallow soil. And this is the soil that Jesus refers to in verse 5 as rocky. But he doesn't mean rocky the way we, you know, we might visualize a field just full of rocks everywhere. That, that's, not, that's not the idea here. This soil that Jesus is talking about is soil that, that on the surface might, might look normal. It might look like, surf, like, like soil that you, would, that you would want to grow crops in. But underneath the surface, just a very few inches underneath the surface, would be a layer of rock. And so the soil uh, uh, would, would receive the, the seed. It might, it might get sown in. And as Jesus mentions in the, uh, in the parable, it would spring up very quickly, which, by the way, agriculturally is exactly what would happen because the soil is thinner, so, so it, would be, it would tend to be warmer, and so the germination process would start sooner. The problem is uh, when, when the sun came up, and, and, the, and the, the soil dried up and the, and the plant uh, withered because it had no, no depth of root. It couldn't go anywhere because it hit, kept hitting this layer of rock. And so it couldn't get any depth to it. Right? Farmer, get that. Jesus, and then over in the explanation part, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, this is the soil. These are the people who... And let me kind of paraphrase it, who might 
find the things of God interesting. They might even be receptive to them. They might even think, well, that sounds good. Forgiveness on my sins and, and, and redemption and a place in heaven. That kind of stuff was good. They might receive it. They might respond to it very quickly. But when the reality set in of the persecution and the problems and the hardships that come to a person as a result of following Jesus, that's when you find out that really the soil was not receptive at all. That it wasn't authentic. That it didn't take. It's just not, it just won't receive it. it it's, it's, it's shallow soil. And so in this case, the, the shallow soil is, is, uh, uh, scares the word. The cost scares the word away from people. Thank you, Tyler. The cost. Oh, that's, 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 that's too, oh, I can't. Listen, I wish I had a dime for every time I've said this. It, it costs you something to follow Jesus in this world. It does. Now, not, not salvation, right? Are we all clear on that? Redemption is this gift that, that God purchased through his sacrifice on the cross. I'm not, I'm not saying you have, to, you have to pay for your salvation. That, you can't, as a matter of fact. Scripture is very clear about it. You can't, even if you want it to. But, it, but if, you, if, if you take this seed in, if you take this for what it is, you, you understand that there's going to be a cost to this. In the form of, of persecution, in, the, in knowing that the enemy is coming against you, that he doesn't want you to succeed, he doesn't want you to be a, a witness for Christ in victory, and in a world system that is opposed to the righteous standard of God, you, you just, and so, so a lot of people are saying, uh, boy, that sounds good, but mm, thanks, but no thanks. That's the shallow soil. The third type of soil uh, is what I call the crowded soil. This is the soil that Jesus refers to that, that's, that's full of thorns. Now, whether the thorns are already up or whether it's the, they're just the seed of the thorns is there, whatever the case may be, the point is the seed can't grow up. It can't, it can't become a viable um, producing plant because it's just choked out by the thorns. As they grow up, they, they overcome it. and they, they, why, why is that, by the way? I mean, I know it's because of the sin curse, but why is it that you know, grass is so hard to grow in your yard, but weeds, that's really not a problem. They just come right up, right? Just chokes it out. Can't take it. And, and Jesus makes the applications. These are the people that can't let go of what the world has to offer. The, the, the lure of riches. The, the, the desire for the things of this world. They're too strong. It's too great a pull. And, and yeah, I'm, I don't know. Man, I, I, I got, I got uh, things I want to do. I got... I got Things I want to have, I got toys I want to possess. I, I got, it's just consumed uh, with the things of the world, and those things choke out this desire for the things of God. So, in that case, in, in the case of the crowded soil, uh, the world seduces the word away from the people. It's too, oh, it's too, it's it's no, no, no. I I want to do this. I want to. I want to. It's the lure of the world, and then uh, he gets to the the final. Parable, final part of the parable of the soil. And it is what I call the productive soil. Jesus calls it the good soil. It's good because it produces, and it produces very well. The point of the productive soil is, and, you know, and I know you always want to be careful not to push Jesus' parables past his intended meaning, but I believe that it's very clear what Jesus is saying is that the good soil that, that represents 
the, the lives that are represented by the good soil are, are the only ones that actually authentically have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're the only ones who have authentic faith because that faith is the only one that actually produces something. Listen, do you understand? Your faith should produce something. It should produce a, a life of righteousness. It should produce the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It should produce... Uh, all of the things that God says that we can have in our life, that, that should be produced from our lives as a result of this relationship. And if, and if my life doesn't produce those things, and I've got to seriously examine, to use the parable, what, my, what the soil of my life really is about. Listen, James, James made this so clear. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 17. James said, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being of itself. You know what I'm He's saying it doesn't, that's not, that's not faith. That's not for real. Because it's not producing anything. Is your life producing anything? I guess what I, that's a good question. Is your life producing anything? Does it produce what it should produce? And notice what he says. 30, 60, 100 fold. In other words, a person shouldn't have to you know, say, well, I, I, I think they're kind of a, on the right track. I think they're a good person. Kind of, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, know, I know none of us are perfect, right? Lord knows. Can I get a witness? I know none of us are perfect. But... But our lives should produce characteristics and fruit that are in keeping with, with what God is doing. With his work of righteousness, what he accomplishes in our lives as a result of what he's sown into our lives. Okay, real quickly, let me try and cover this for you. So, so at least part of the purpose, I think, of the parable of the soil, or at least part of the application for us, is that we can look at it, we can evaluate, you know, my life. Am I, am I hard to these things of God? Am I, uh, am I you know, kind of, it sounds good to me, but, uh, you know, oh, I don't want, I'm afraid of all this stuff. I'm gonna, is it, you know, well, you know, yeah, that God stuff, that's good, but I, I, I'm going for this stuff over here. Where, what is my soil? What is, what is my heart? What does my life look like? Okay, let's talk about uh, one other kind of aspect of this real quickly, if we can. Um, who is the sower in Jesus' parable? I think that certainly is a part that needs to be discussed in the parable as well. Who is the sower in Jesus' parable? This has been discussed. There's been debated. People have talked about this. Uh, this I actually think that there are three answers, and all three answers are correct. Uh, first, uh, the sower is Jesus. Jesus was sowing the word into their lives. He, Jesus wanted them. I believe even the religious leaders. I, I, I believe Jesus even wanted them to get it. He wanted them to understand. He's trying to teach them the truth of God's word. He's trying to illustrate it. He's giving parables. He's, he's giving practical application. He's doing all this stuff. He, he's sowing it. By the way, I uh, might also add that uh, John chapter uh, 1 says that, uh, that Jesus is the word made flesh, uh, which means basically Jesus was the sower. Jesus is also the seed who would be sown into the ground at his death to produce a crop to eternal life, those of us who trust Christ as our Savior. But the point of this is Jesus is the sower. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit, the sower is the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week. Isn't it the Holy Spirit, at least in my life, and I think it's what Scripture teaches, the Holy Spirit is the one. I didn't just wake up one day and say, wow, am I a low-down, good-for-nothing, worthless sinner, bound for hell, deserving of hell? And I'd sure like to change that. No, I didn't, I didn't do that at all. I didn't understand it, okay, then. I didn't understand what was going on, but I, I can look back now, and I know that it was the Holy Spirit. Through, through circumstances, through people, through things I was reading, but it was the Holy Spirit who convicted me of my sin and convinced me of my need of the Savior and, and changed and is changing me into the image of the Savior. He's the one that did that. So the, the Holy Spirit is, is sowing. And then the sower is me. 
And I don't mean me, Pastor Clay. I mean me, Clay, the follower of Jesus. In other words, you and I, every single one of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, who claim that we've come alongside him, that we've received him as our Lord and Savior, we are the sower. Would you, would you just say that with me? Would you say the sower is me? The sower is me. I'm the sower. I'm the sower. So if I am the sower, if I have this responsibility to sow the word, what does that look like? Well, let me give you a few things. First, the sower sows internally. I've already kind of hit on this a little bit. The sower sows. In other words, I can't sow into anybody else's life what, what has not been sown into my life. Do you understand? If, I, if I'm not taking the word of God into my own life, how in the world can I expect to take it into anybody else's life? Again, back, getting back to this idea of the scarcity of the word of God in our, in our culture, in our own lives, in our homes. I have to sow the seed into my life internally. That's a responsibility that I have. Second, uh, the sower uh, sows consistently. In other words, if the word, if the, remember the word, the, the word is the seed in the parable, right? Right? Come on, hang with me. You've only got a few more minutes. Uh, if, if I sow, uh, if, if the word of God is sown into my life, then shouldn't it just, shouldn't a natural manifestation be that the word would just, would, in other words, the actions of the word, the truth of the word, that that would be manifested in my life and so that others would come into contact with it just by being around me. I should sow it consistently. Now, listen, can I say this? That does not mean that every single uh, sentence that comes out of our mouth has to be a quoting of scripture, chapter and verse. All right, you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't, you know, Daddy, can I watch, uh, can I watch Pretty Little Liars? <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying everything has to, I've been kind of guilty of that at times in my life probably, but I'm not saying that that has to be the case, all right? If my neighbor, all right, if my neighbor comes to me and says, man, how do you get your grass so green? I, I don't have to, I don't have to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The 23rd Psalm, verse 1. Right? Not, I can just tell him, give him the number to the guy that comes over and makes my grass green. Right? So I'm not... But when the conversations with my friends, with my family, with my neighbors, when those conversations turn to matters of a spiritual nature, when they turn to subject matter about, man, how do you control uncontrollable teenagers? Man, how do you, how do you, how do you get your husband to listen to you? Man, how do you, how do you manage your money? When, when subject matter begins to turn to, to, to areas that lend themselves to spiritual responses, then if I've sown the word of God into my life and the word of God ought to be sown into others' lives as a result of it. You understand? It should, it, I've got to do it consistently. And then uh, one other idea. The sower sows indiscriminately. Listen, in the parable, so, uh, the, the, the seed fell on hard soil. It fell on shallow soil. It, it fell on uh, crowded soil. And it fell on good soil. If you and I consistently sow the word of God with our actions, with our attitudes, with our words, all that kind of stuff, then yes, some of the seed that we sow will fall onto hard soil. Some will fall onto shallow soil. Some will fall onto crowded soil. And some, by 
the sovereign work of God, some will fall on good soil and people's lives will be changed. But it's, it's not our business to change people's hearts. That's God's business. It's our business to sow seed. And so we don't discriminate in the sowing of that seed. I don't believe we do. Now, having said that, we're, we're going to see this when we, when we get to uh, Mark chapter 6. But in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says this. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this, kind of hard words. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you. By the way, Eric Clary and I were having this conversation yesterday. Do you know this is the same? When the next time somebody says to you, oh, do not judge lest you be judged. Did you know that that's the exact same chapter where he said makes this comment? So make sure... Make sure about the content. So, in other words, what, what Jesus is saying in those two verses and other places is there may be a, a need to evaluate, right? If you go to a person and you're sowing, because it just comes out, you're sowing into their lives the, the truth of God's word, the application of God's word. If they don't want to hear it, if they're not interested, like the religious leaders, they don't want to have anything to do with it, they're not, then, then you can walk away knowing that you have honored God and you've done what God expected of you. But their response to it and the condition of their heart is on them. It's not on you. If you're faithful. So, so we don't discriminate, but we, we may evaluate the response of a person's life and whether they are even interested in hearing this at all. So the parable maybe helps us evaluate our own life. And, t- and it gets us to, to, to look at this truth that, that I'm a sower and I need to be sowing into other people's lives. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, if I profess faith in Jesus Christ, then, then here's what we better do. We better take up our bag. And that's how they did it in the, in the ancient days. They carried this bag and the bag contained the seed and they would take the, the seed out of the bag and they would sow it into the ground. We'd better take up our bag and we'd better start sowing, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to start sowing. What's the condition of your heart? It's not a bad question to ask in light of today's message. As Pastor Clay showed us, Jesus compares a person's receptivity to the Word of God to soil's receptivity to seed. Just like the soil, some people's hearts are hard, unwilling to hear about the Word of God. Some people's hearts are shallow, unwilling to pay the price to follow Jesus. Some people's hearts are crowded, unwilling to let go of the things of this world. But there is good soil. There are hearts that are open to the Word of God and where God can bring forth much fruit. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to sow the seed of the Word of God into the soil of men and women's hearts. We can't change the condition of their hearts. Only God can do that. We're called to sow the seed. We can leave the results to the Lord of the harvest. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.